Hey folks, James Jenkins here. Welcome to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. This is episode 19. It's our hot takes. Episode number two of that little hot takes series. Thanks for joining us. So in this episode, you are going to get a candid breakdown of the four options, uh, the four major buckets uh, to choose from in making your freedom jump. Uh, I go through my opinion on the pros and cons of each of the four and then unpack exactly uh, what you should be concerned about. Uh, This episode is more geared towards people that have not yet made their freedom jump. Uh, But for my friends and colleagues out there that have already uh, moved over to the IA side, this is definitely going to be informative and uh, entertaining as well at times. So uh, go ahead and buckle up and and get ready for an energetic episode. Uh, There'll be a little bit of controversy in, in certain points, I am sure. So a couple of quick housekeeping items, as I have said several times in the last few episodes. Registration is currently open for the Innovation 2021 Conference, which is going to be held in Tampa, Florida, uh, November 4th, 5th, and 6th. You can register for your tickets, your accommodations, the Harbor Cruise. Get all the details at IAOA.com. That is www.IAOA.com. And if you are in the uh, IAOA Facebook group, you are probably already very familiar with all the very cool things that Captain Dave and uh, Nicholas Ayers, our fearless leaders, have planned uh, for that event. The second thing is that we invite you to join our Facebook group where a lot of conversation will happen uh, once you know, enough people get in there. We're coming up on 100 members. Uh, there's been some, some good dialogue back and forth, uh, but it only gets more interesting the more that people join. So on, uh, on your Facebook page, just go to the search bar and put in Agency Freedom Podcast and join that group. Look forward to connecting with you there. So that's it for this intro. Let's go ahead and run that bumper and get into episode 19. Thanks for joining us, folks. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry. Those who are captive and those who are free. This is the Agency Freedom Podcast. There is so much I wish I would have known before I made the freedom jump to the independent side. I mean, even now, I feel like I'm learning something new every single month. We're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom. My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man. It's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Howdy, Freedom Jumpers. This is James Jenkins. Welcome to another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast, where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Thank you, as always, for joining us on this episode This episode 19 is going to be one of our hot takes episodes where I unpack a specifically relevant uh, point to consider for everyone in the Freedom Jumper community. The content of this episode is going to be more geared towards people that have not yet made their Freedom Jump since if you are uh, listening to this episode as a independent agency owner or a sales professional, then you likely have already made uh, the main decision of how to make the freedom jump. Uh, so some of the content will not be immediately relevant to you. But for those of you that are considering uh, alternatives, maybe you are not happy with the freedom jump that you made and are, are looking for other uh, options that may be available to you. I think this is going to be very uh, useful, very relevant uh, for you and your agency and your family. In this episode, we are going to dissect uh, the four major options uh, for the Freedom Jump. We're going to look at the pros and the cons of each of them 
in as much objectivity as I'm able to offer as a human being. Anything that I say in this episode uh, that sounds like a value statement, a, a judgment of some kind, either positive or negative, is nothing more than my personal opinion and should not be taken as uh, prescriptive advice for what you can experience necessarily uh, with the company. Uh, anybody who knows me well knows that I'm not shy about sharing my personal opinion, but as a podcast host, as uh, someone who is producing content that will be heard by several hundred people, I have a responsibility to uh, disclaim that at the beginning. Uh, one, so I don't get sued, but two, so you guys uh, are able to, you know, realize uh, where my personal experience may perhaps be different than yours, since I had different goals and objectives than perhaps you do uh, when I made my freedom jump in 2018 and 2019. So in the episode, the four options are simply going to be uh, four different macro options for how you make your freedom jump. And if you want my notes uh, from this episode, this is one of the episodes where I am actually uh, producing a, a takeaway, a handout PDF. You can download uh, your copy completely free of charge. Uh, just visit agencyfreedompodcast.com, sign up for our email list, and I will make sure that you get uh, your access to uh, this recap document of the four different ways. So how are we going to uh, go into this? Well, the four different options are one, a go scratch independent on your own. You're not joining any third party, you're doing it completely on your own. The second is joining an alliance, cluster, aggregator, whatever you want to call it. The third is joining a franchise, a done-for-you company uh, that handles a lot of the decision-making and creates a framework that you can operate inside of uh, as the agency owner. And the fourth one is not exactly the same as the other three, it is simply that we, uh, not we, sorry, you, instead of opening an agency, you would choose instead uh, to join an existing agency on their team with the intentionality of being there for a couple of years, maybe two, three, four years, time enough to grasp the uh, full gambit of what you can learn from them about process and systems and workflows and carrier relationships, tech stack, and you know so many of the things that we've talked about in this podcast, certainly in the first seven episodes of our foundational episodes. Go back and listen to those first uh, seven if you have not already. But that fourth option is going to be great uh, for the people that are currently in the captive side of the industry and are uncomfortable for whatever reason about making a, a full jump to being an agency owner. It may be that your capital position is not where you would want it to be. It may be that family uh, life stage or other uh, complications make it to where it's not wise for you to take that kind of risk of opening a independent agency at this time. So option four is going to be attractive for a lot of people uh, for a variety of reasons. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right in to the pros and cons of these four. And then at the end, I will give you kind of a, a summary, a wrap up with my own uh, personal experience and commentary on uh, perhaps the best way to proceed. So let's jump in. The first one is, the first option is going completely scratch independent. It is making the freedom jump on your own, no assistance, no companies, no one to uh, ask advice of, no, uh, no strings attached, no contract to sign, no commission split, no payments each month. You are completely and utterly on your own. So the pros of going what I'm calling full scratch, you are fully scratch. Uh, the first one is there's minimal startup cost. You're not signing a contract. There's not a, any consulting fee. There's not a franchise fee. Uh, there's not a whole bunch of complications on the front end. You're not stuck negotiating with anyone. You're really able to just build your agency structure how you want it. Take a look at your tech stack, take a look at your org chart, build out your systems and processes and workflows however you want to, and then go out there and, and start getting your first appointments 
If you're choosing to do this method, I will say very clearly, this is, in my opinion, very clearly the hardest method of the four to make your freedom jump. You are definitely going to be doing yourself a big favor if you get started well in advance of your actual separation from your captive agency, from your carrier, the one that is paying the bills and, and having revenue come in. Because if you are full scratch, then there is going to be a pretty significant ramp up time before you start making any real money on new business. Obviously, we already know uh, that when you are stepping into a new agency venture, your residuals from your renewal commissions go away and you have to press the reset button and start those over again, which obviously is is annoying as all get out because you're, you know, it's one of the hardest parts about walking away from a captive uh, relationship is that residual income is already built. And if you've been successful as a captive agent, it could be pretty significant. So the biggest thing about going full scratch is you have to start months in advance. You need to be reaching out to carriers on your own, figuring out who your targets are and starting that conversation a long time in advance of when you start thinking that you may want to actually go uh, make the freedom jump and start writing business. The other pros of uh, going full scratch are that you don't have any contracts to sign. Uh, there is uh, nothing that you need to negotiate on the front end. You're able to forge your own path from start to finish. You can pick all of your own vendors. You can do all of your own processes, your workflows, your own business plan, do all of your carrier negotiations, literally map it all out on your own. So if you're the John Wayne, you know, Lone Ranger type who fancies yourself uh, a, a self-made person with no help from anyone else, uh, then this is the path for you. And, you know, most importantly for a lot of people, you'll be able to brag on social media that you did it all by yourself and you don't have anyone else to thank uh, for the growth and success of your agency. You know, obviously I'm being a little bit snide with that, uh, but that tends to be the, uh, the attitude a lot of people take on social that uh, for whatever reason chose not to do one of the other options that we are talking about here. So... That's about it for the pros on going full scratch. Now for the cons on going full scratch. And as you can imagine, uh, this is basically the inverse of everything that we talked about on the pro side of things. So for the cons, you are not going to get any structured help at all. Uh, there is no one to call and ask the million questions to that you will probably want to ask. Uh, I'll be Completely candid, when I left Farmers, when I started Riskwell from zero, zero policies, zero team members, zero contracts, man, I had so many questions. And that's one of the main reasons why I was inspired to, to launch this podcast is, man, there were so many questions. Even with the assistance of SIAA, the Strategic Insurance Agents Alliance, which at this point, if you've been listening to anything on the podcast... Uh, more than just a, maybe a couple of episodes, uh, you know that is what we ended up doing. So, spoiler alert, I chose option two of these four options. But even then, man, there was a lot of questions. I wore those folks out at my local master agency. I probably asked them literally you know, 200 questions in the first three months. Uh, and they were pretty detailed questions. So, the cons of going full scratch is there is no one to ask those questions to other than your perhaps your carrier reps uh, or your underwriters if you're able to get a quick contract or two. Uh, but as far as structured assistance, as far as advisors, as far as uh, people to help with best practices, with building out your systems and workflows and your business plan and your strategy and all of those things, you're on your own. Uh, there's no one to get uh, any assistance from there. The other thing is that when it comes to those carrier contracts, those appointments, uh, the negotiated extra commissions, the profit sharing, the contingency, uh, the bonus points, uh, you're on your own for negotiating all of that. And all of the production minimums are whatever you're able to negotiate for yourself. So you can definitely expect higher production expectations from the carriers that are willing to appoint you. So the other thing is uh, you are really on your own uh, in securing those appointments and getting people to take a shot on a full scratch agent at this point in the market cycle in the way that carriers are with their ratios, with their distribution, uh, with their minimums. It's going to be very, very difficult uh, to get any of the more attractive, more desirable 
codes for the companies that you probably want to write uh, than it was even a couple of years ago. It was still pretty hard for us uh, back in 2019 when we were uh, you know, walking through the process of getting these codes done. But at this point, as I record this episode in September of 2021, I think it's probably more difficult than it's ever been before uh, just because there is so much disruption in the distribution strategy of these carriers. A lot of carriers have their own direct channel now. And they're trying to figure out what their long-term strategy is. So new appointments are, are much harder to come by uh, than they used to be. So that's it for the first option. Moving now on to the second option, uh, the pros and cons of joining an alliance, a cluster, an aggregator, whatever you want to call it. So the pros of joining an alliance, uh, you are getting support, you're getting guidance from day one from the alliance staff. Uh, for me, uh, I am affiliated with SIAA, Coverica Agency Alliance is my master agency here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. We are uh, riding in 37 states, and uh, as long as it's in our office or so not brokering it through someone else, SIAA is fine with that. Uh, I've been able to connect with other master agencies in other markets uh, that have been very helpful uh, in guiding me through some of the non-resident challenges. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, how to build out the perfect carrier mix for your agency uh, two episodes from now. Uh, episode 21, which will drop in uh, late September, is going to be all about getting that perfect carrier mix. One of the things we'll talk about in that episode is the difficulties of being a non-resident and getting access to some of these regional or super regional carriers that are very competitive in some of the states if you're trying to do non-resident stuff. But I wouldn't have known much of anything in those areas if it weren't for the, the staff at Coverica who assisted me tremendously on those kind of questions. The other thing uh, in the pros, and there, there's a few pros here, is for those of us that came from the captive world, we're already predisposed to think in a tribal context. Just about every captive carrier is broken up into sales territories or districts. You have an area sales manager or a district manager, and typically agency owners are clustered into buckets that are, are geographically based. So the idea of having a tribe, of having other local agents to talk to, to bounce ideas off of, who technically, yes, they are uh, competition, but if you're doing it right as a captive agent, uh, you have great relationships with other local agents. And the same is definitely true uh, for the alliances, the clusters, the aggregators, whether it's SIAA or any one of the other many good options. Uh, SIAA is the largest one by far, uh, they're almost double the size of the second largest um, cluster, which I, I think is Keystone. It's either Keystone or Iroquois. I'm not sure uh, what it is currently. Insurance Journal puts out a list uh, of those uh, you know, top 20 every year, uh, but I know SIA is the big one. Now, there are a lot of well-represented uh, clusters and aggregators uh, in IAOA and the insurance syndicate, wherever, whatever group you are in, um, it's going to be a lot of options. If you're just asking the questions, if you want to be spammed with a bunch of messages from people fanboying uh, their preferred um, aggregator or cluster, then go ahead and post in one of those groups and, and ask uh, who the best one is. And you'll get lots of opinions, obviously. So that tribal access of continuing the way that we are all programmed to think as captive agency owners, uh, that is very much still the same uh, when you are joining an alliance. And the help with the contracts, with the negotiating with the carriers of getting those uh, preferred production requirements and expectations, getting those bonus points, getting the profit sharing, the contingency, having someone who is negotiating on your behalf, as well as advocating on your behalf. If there's a challenge of some sort, if there is a problem with a carrier, let's say uh, they drop the ball on a service ticket or there's a really bad claim experience, you're going to have help when you need to go to the carrier to get something done. The old there's strength in numbers adage is absolutely true when it comes to being part of an alliance. The revenue that I have derived from my relationship with SIAA is about 250% of the total that I've paid them, uh, including the upfront consulting fee and the amounts that we've done on splits uh, for monthly fees and for 
uh, their cut of any negotiated bonuses or profit sharing or contingencies that they brought to my office. I'm clear about 250%. So that's not always going to be the case. I can only speak from my personal uh, experience here, uh, but it's been a very positive thing so far. Moving now to the cons of joining an alliance. And these cons are going to be very familiar to people that are in IAOA or other groups where these things are openly talked about. The cons of joining an alliance, uh, one is going to be the variability at a geographic level because regardless of the uh, organization that you are considering being affiliated with, the geographic nature of, of these territories means that your experience is going to be largely dependent on your local representative for the aggregator cluster, whatever it may be. And I can say, because I've heard, you know, a lot of negative things uh, from time to time from other people that are also in SIAA, that are in different territories in the country that have a different master agency other than Coverica, which is my master agency. Uh, they have very different experience. They, they share different stories. So I would say one of the cons is it's not uniform uh, in any way. Uh, across the country. The market that you're in, uh, the people that you are dealing with at a human level have quite a bit to do uh, with your experience in an alliance. The, others, uh, the other cons of joining an alliance is there's typically an upfront cost uh, to do business with them. They are expending a lot of time and energy on training and development, on equipping, of negotiating for contracts, of getting your office up to speed. So obviously, uh, there is some sort of cost in, uh, in those expenditures of time and energy. The cost is going to vary pretty significantly from one group to another. Uh, I will say that uh, I found the cost to be totally reasonable uh, with my experience with my uh, alliance. Uh, and as I said, it's been you know roughly a 250% positive ROI from every dollar that I have uh, paid to them. Uh, but let's focus on the cons here uh, for a little bit. One of the most common challenges that you will find uh, in working with an alliance is the contract that they have you sign. The devil really is in the details, as my friend and colleague Grayson Thompson so eloquently put it in episode 18. You got to read the contract. You absolutely yes. must read the contract. It is uh, where everything else stems from. Uh, most of the complaints you hear about SIAA in particular are in regards to the contract. I will say there are lots of items in those contracts that are open for discussion, for negotiation. Depending on how bad they want you, depending on what your leverage is, uh, you can definitely get around some of the less favorable clauses in those contracts if you know how to negotiate. One thing I would say is pay very close attention to the breakup clauses, the AKA the divorce clause or whatever. Uh, in SIAA land, it's referred to as deferred compensation, uh, basically meaning that if you were to separate from the cluster, the aggregator, the alliance, you would pay some sort of deferred comp. Uh, typically, it is a percentage of your trailing 12 months in revenue, but it's a little different uh, with each alliance, each group that you are uh, talking to. So make sure you're paying very close attention uh, to those uh, breakup clauses because they can make or break the relationship. And lastly, uh, is just the fact that there is potentially poor leadership and support in the alliance or cluster that you are considering doing business with. So make sure you're doing those interviews, that you're performing your due diligence, that you're following your gut instinct, because at the end of the day, these are people. This is not some robotic corporation that you know has everything formulaic in it. At the end of the day, these are human beings that have uh, their own hopes and dreams and, and, and flaws and challenges. Uh, so make sure that whatever organization you're looking at, uh, you are looking at it from, can I work with these people? Do I get a good vibe from them? Uh, do they seem to be interested in putting out significant time and energy for my agency to be successful? Because I, I think really at the end of the day, the main reason I had such a high level of comfort in doing business with SIAA was the staff at Coverica. Um, in the last two and a half years, they have proven themselves to be exactly what I had thought and hoped they were. Uh, looking back on it now, two and a half years later, I would do exactly uh, what I chose to do at the beginning. And I think that is a, a really strong endorsement of the team at Coverica and the team uh, at SIA in general. So when you're looking at considering an alliance, a cluster, an aggregator, 
the team that you will be directly working with needs to be a very big part of your determination of whether they are an eligible, favorable candidate or not. Um, so definitely pay close attention to that. And at, at this point, I think we are very close to the halfway point of this episode. So I'm now going to pause and allow our sponsor to run their mid-roll commercial. And so we'll come right back and hit the second half. Hey, Freedom Jumper, are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. All right, so we're back for the third of our four topics, and uh, this is definitely going to be the most controversial of the four areas, and uh, be totally honest with you, you guys might have seen my post uh, on uh, on my Facebook and uh, the group uh, Agency Freedom Podcast. Uh, this episode is not dropping on its normal Friday morning slot, and the reason for that is this section. Uh, the first time I recorded the episode all in one take, as I always do, and I was trying to be polite and high level uh, and, and choose my words very carefully because I named one of the companies in this category that is uh, a, a up-and-coming, a, a large um, player in our market here in DFW and is uh, rapidly expanding uh, across the country and very, very aggressively targets captive agents uh, who are most of the time just plain ignorant of the landscape of the independent uh, agency channel. They don't know what their options are. They haven't uh, learned about the four different ways to go independent. And uh, a lot of people choose uh, to, to go with the franchise model out of simplicity, out of uh, ease of use, as we'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, the challenge is uh, I name dropped them and uh, I got to advise that even though I was polite and balanced and pros and cons and said quite a bit of do your due diligence, make good decisions, etc., it really came down to the simple fact that this company is very fond of suing people uh, for a variety of reasons, alleged breach of contract, alleged non-solicitation uh, violations, as well as uh, simple slander, defamation, etc. It simply is not worth it. I'm running an agency just like uh, you guys are, and I don't have time for nonsense. Uh, it's not worth it to me uh, to specifically name a company and then deal with potential repercussions of, of them being petty and going after me to try to silence me for sharing my personal opinion from my personal experiences when I was aggressively recruited by this company when I was a farmer's agent. So we're going to redo this section, uh, and this is recorded after the rest of the episode, and we're going to go through the pros and cons of the franchise model channel. And yes, I recognize that this is probably the most controversial thing I have done uh, in 19 episodes. Uh, generally, I'm very well behaved uh, and, and I take the high road and I'm professional. Uh, this one particular topic uh, I feel very strongly about. Uh, I think a lot of people are being taken advantage of. Uh, a lot of kids fresh out of college who don't know anything about adulthood, who don't know anything about uh, the professional world uh, are being sold a bill of goods uh, by a lot of companies in this done-for-you agency-in-a-box franchise model. And if I'm being honest with you, it kind of pisses me off how they do business. Uh, and normally, I would take the high road and be abundance mindset and, and say, oh, there's plenty of business for all of us, yada, yada. But at this point, 
there are captive agents that are listening to me for, uh, for direction, for advice, for coaching, uh, for counsel. And if I did not wave a flag and say, if you're going to go the franchise route, that's fine. Just make sure you're well-educated and you know exactly what your options are. You know what the strings that are attached to the franchise model, regardless of which company you choose to work with. And you come into it with your eyes wide open, knowing what the revenue model looks like, knowing what the strings are attached, knowing what the exit clause, the divorce clause, know what they look like. Because it's going to sound great when you go to the orientation day, the discovery day, whatever this company that you're talking to calls it. There's going to be a whole lot of rah-rah, a whole lot of promises made and grand statements and you know top agents that are four standard deviations north of the mean are going to be paraded in front of you as these shining examples of what you can do with their company and they're going to brush under the rug all the crap and all the downsides uh, for dealing with uh, their company and it's not just one my personal experience is with one it's a well-known company but there are a lot of companies uh, in this done for you franchise model and almost all of them share similar challenges uh we're going to get into it right now. So uh, the, there we go, pros and cons as in uh, the other three options. The pros very clearly is it is the easiest to get up and running with the done for you franchise model. They literally give you an entire agency in a box, all of your technology, all of your carrier contracts, all of your systems and processes and workflows. You have uh, typically an AMS and CRM automated marketing, et cetera, built in, and it could not be easier to get up and running. Basically, everything that we talked about in the first seven episodes of Agency Freedom Podcast, the foundation episodes, you can chunk them out the window because you don't need any of that. If you're doing a done-for-you franchise model, then you are basically you know, picking up a box with a bunch of stuff in it, and you go and do it. So anyways, the done-for-you model is very attractive to some people who don't want to hassle uh, with all of the administrative uh, and, and other things that go into being a business owner. They just want to talk to people and sell stuff. And if that's you, then by all means, the franchise model, the done-for-you model is going to be very attractive. Best of luck to you. I, I sincerely wish you well if that is the path that you choose. Just make sure you understand the strings that are attached. So the second pro is the ease of use. The startup is incredibly simple. The onboarding, the training, uh, getting up to speed, helping you learn the independent agency model. Uh, it is uh, very user-friendly. They do a great job with their uh, branding. Uh, these companies that are well-known in the franchise model, they do a fantastic job of helping brand new agents, most of whom are either uh, kids in their 20s that are fresh out of college and don't know anything about anything, or uh, they are former captive agents who are looking for a freedom jump and chose the path of least resistance uh, to get uh, started in their uh, independent agency journey. The third one is it is very simply a simplified business model. <laughs> simply a simplified business model. I really should uh, you know, increase my vocabulary, right? So the simplified business model for most of these done-for-you franchises is uh, the fact that you simply walk in the door and you get to work talking to people and selling stuff. There is a lot of assistance from an administrative perspective, from HR, from regulatory compliance, from licensing, uh, from the service side, from the claims side. Uh, virtually all of these franchise models have some sort of corporate-run call center where they provide sales support uh, and service support, remarketing, claims, etc. Uh, everything that goes into the client experience after someone decides uh, to join up with the Done For You franchise. That is very attractive to some people. Uh, and if that is what you're looking for, a simplified business model where uh, you are not uh, doing anything really after the client uh, comes in, where you're handing it off to a call center environment that handles everything, sales uh, support, they're doing the documents, they're doing the service, they're doing the claims, they're doing most of the remarketing. 
Uh, and, and that is all handled outside of your agency most of the time with most of these companies. So that's attractive to you, the simplified business model, then by all means, uh, this is going to be the best option for you if that's what you're looking for. Moving now to the cons, and you can tell uh, from what I've said already, there's going to be some very big cons. And this is really where the gloves come off, and if I sound a little hot under the collar, it's because I am. So the first problem with the done-for-you franchise model, uh, and, and let me just say very clearly that there are plenty of people who have been very successful uh, with the done-for-you franchise model. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of Billy Wagner in Florida, my friend and former farmer's agent, Jeremy Maddock in California. Uh, there are plenty of people that have been very successful with the franchise model, so I am not in any way knocking it categorically. I'm saying from my personal experience, uh, for what I was looking for, uh, it was a, a complete non-starter. Uh, and, and your mileage may vary. So obviously, do your own due diligence and make your own decisions. My opinion is one of many. Uh, and I would definitely encourage you to you know, figure out exactly what you are looking for and become very well educated before you decide to jump into this. So the first con is the contract that is put on you uh, by the uh, by the franchise model. Uh, there is a lot of strings attached. Uh, there is a lot of things that you need to be concerned about. The fee structure, the upfront cost, the exit clauses, as we've already talked about, uh, the ownership of the policies themselves. Do you own the actual policies? Do you have your own appointments? Or is everything you're doing written on a subcode underneath the franchise model, which makes it very difficult to leave them and retain your carrier relationships? Do you have the ability to sell your book, your policies on the open market to a third party of your choosing? Most likely not. Do you have the ability to simply give uh, your book to a family member? Uh, that is a question that you will definitely want to ask for succession planning purposes. Uh, that is something that is going to be covered in the contract. Do you have the ability to go out and get your own separate relationships with carriers outside of the franchise model? Uh, carriers that uh, are not in, included in the mix uh, in that box that they hand you with all of your toys to play with. So the second one, and this is probably the most concerning for me, is the revenue model is so badly skewed in favor of the franchise or in this case. You are paying an upfront cost. Uh, I have no idea uh, what it is in your state. I will say that the, uh, the recruiter and, and the people that tried to get me to join uh, a certain franchise model uh, company several times back when I was a farmer's agent, uh, the onboarding, the startup cost at that point for the DFW market here in Texas was north of $60,000. Yeah, you could pay it in full or you could do installment plans, but that was just the startup. That had nothing to do with the ongoing splits and uh, what they were um, offering for this uh, was basically what we've already talked about. The done for you, the agency in a box, the call center uh, support, uh, the brand of the franchisor. The problem is that the revenue doesn't support the value prop in my personal opinion because we are talking about splits that are incredibly imbalanced in favor of the franchisor. So obviously I'm not naming names here. So this is speaking in a general sense. This is one example uh, of a, a very uh, large percentage of the people that are joining a franchise are going to be going with this company. The new business split at the time that I was having the conversation with them was 80-20, which is not bad. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's lots of companies that have an 80-20 split. 85-15, 80-20, 75-25. That's not really the problem that I have. The other problem is the renewal revenue is a 50-50 split. And anybody who has been in the industry for any length of time knows that the real money is in the recurring revenue, the money that happens after the first policy term. Let's do some very simple math here. 
Let's say that you are very successful. You're in a high premium state in your first year in business. All you're doing is going out and selling, uh, meeting people and selling stuff. So you've got a million dollars in premium. Let's say you're doing 12% average. So you've got $120,000 of gross premium in year one. That's new business. Well, 20% of that goes to your franchisor. That's a $24,000 fee off of your 120. So now you have $96,000. Let's say you do the very same thing in the second year. The second year, you do the same million dollars and you get another 96,000 in new business net revenue. But wait, let's say you had a really good retention. Let's say you had 95% retention uh, from that first year's revenue. That 95% retention gets you $91,200 in gross renewal revenue. If we just leave it nice and simple percentages, it stays 12% all the way through. Let's keep it really easy for math purposes. $91,200. You made, and let's see here, sorry, I, I, uh, I forgot the, the 80-20 here. So that same $120,000, uh, that same number has... 12%. So there we go. Yeah, you are $120,000. And in year two, that's no longer new business revenue. That is now renewal revenue. So in year one, that was new business revenue. So of that $120,000, you took home $96,000 top line. That's before expenses, before overhead, before rent, before marketing, before any staff that you retain in your office, you're at $96,000. Now, the second year, that $120,000 that you had last year, are you getting $96,000 for that? No, you're getting $60,000. And you're also giving up 20% on the front end. So let's say you do a very good job in your second year, and you do the same thing that you did the first year. You get $96,000 for that new business revenue, and you get $60,000 for the renewal revenue. So you have $156,000 in gross revenue off of a $2 million uh, book of business because you gave the franchisor 50% of your renewal commissions. Every company is going to be a little bit different. Some companies are going to be higher. Some companies are going to be lower. But the revenue model is pretty consistent in the franchise world. The other problem, and this is... <laughs> really where I have to shake my head and go, are you even paying attention, people that choose this model? Because there was a, a thread that happened uh, on IAOA. Uh, it's been several months ago now. It was earlier this year uh, where someone had asked a specific question about one of these franchise uh, models. And as you can imagine, the fanboys came out of the woodwork uh, drinking their Kool-Aid and spewing hate and derision on anyone who was foolish enough to bash their overlords. And uh, I asked this person some very specific questions like, hey, do you have the ability to sell your policies on the open market if you choose to leave the company that you're with? And they wouldn't give me a straight answer. So I moved on to another question. I said, tell me, what's your loss ratio on your book? And they didn't know. I private messaged them and said, hey, I understand if you don't want to answer publicly. I'm curious, do you know the loss ratio on your book? And that person said, no, I don't. And I said, are you concerned that your loss ratio may impact your ability to retain your carrier contracts? And they said, oh, I don't have to worry about that. That's all done for me. I thought, wow, that's really convenient. Okay, good for you. That must be nice. Not having to worry about pesky little things like carrier relationships. Hmm, you know, that's, that's a pretty important part of being an actual owner of an independent insurance agency. And then we got to the, the kicker, the, the really big thing that I'm sitting here just dumbfounded, honestly. I said, hey, you've been with that company for two years. You've been allegedly very successful, as you bragged about in your comments. What kind of, uh, what kind of bonuses and profit sharing and contingencies have you received uh, as a part of your relationship with that franchise? And this person said, I kid you not. What are those? I don't know what that is. Folks, this guy is a great example of the middle of the road allegedly calling themselves an agency owner because 
that's a debatable concept when you're not handling anything after someone comes on as a client. Uh, this is where I, I really need to be polite on the individual because I know a lot of people that are on the franchise model. There are lots of people that I would consider friends and colleagues. So I'm not saying that you can't be successful at this. I'm saying if you are going to maximize your opportunities, you really need to pay close attention to what you are giving up in exchange for what you are getting. So when you have the done for you, when you have the ease of use, the simplified business model, those are very big pros. There's a lot of value in that for the right person. What you're giving up on the other side of that deal is a revenue model that is very badly skewed in favor of the franchisor. And what do you think happens with all of those profit-sharing bonuses, those residual uh, contingencies, those excess uh, profit-sharing numbers? If the agent didn't even know what they are, because they're not paying attention to loss ratios, they're not paying attention to bonuses uh, that are based on performance, profitability, contingencies. Because you know what? Let's all be honest, folks, and I'm right there with you. When I was a captive agent, I paid almost no attention to loss ratio because the carrier never talked about it. It wasn't something that was ever brought up. They always talked about sales. They always talked about density and policies uh, per account and average premium and cross-selling life insurance. The carrier never talked about loss ratio. So is it surprising that these franchise models that are aggressively recruiting captive agents and kids who don't know any better, they're not going to talk about loss ratios either because the people that they're recruiting don't know anything about that. And if I'm running a franchise or if I'm the CEO of a franchise, if I can keep those profits for myself, if I can keep the contingency bonus, the additional revenue, uh, the other profit sharing that the carriers give out for performance, if I'm the franchisor and I can keep those for myself and the agents don't know any better and aren't asking questions and aren't demanding that they be paid what they've earned through their production and their low loss ratios and writing good business, absolutely I would do that. It's, I mean, it's on the agent to demand what's best for them. Uh, and that's what these franchisors are doing on a consistent basis. Uh, they are giving you a box of toys to play with and hoping that you don't pay close attention to exactly how much that is costing you. Because we only did a number based on two years and one million in new business. What is the split off of that? You are getting $156,000 in top line revenue after two years. The franchisor is getting $24,000 the first year and $60,000 the second year. So they're getting $84,000 of your top line revenue in exchange for this done for you model. Now here's the scary part. I don't think any of you are planning on doing insurance for two years. You're probably thinking that this is a career play or at least several years and then sell out and go do something else. So let's look at it at five years. Let's say you have an average retention of 90%. We'll keep the math really, really simple. Let's say after five years, you've got a $5 million book. And we're going to take that same 12%. So you've got $600,000 in year five for renewal revenue on the top line. Now keep in mind, you're giving 50% of that number away. Now, the franchisor is going to say, oh, well, we're giving you all of this value, our call center, we're doing all of the things, we're taking care of your technology, yada, yada, yada. We're just taking great care of you. Aren't you glad to be with our franchise? Okay, folks, let's take a look and see. What is that $600,000 cut in half? That's $300,000. You're giving the franchisor $300,000 thousand of your dollars. Let that sink in. And that's not counting the new business from that year. Do you think after five years you might write more new business than you did in year one? Probably so. So how much are you really giving up if you go with that franchise model? So and that's really it. Uh, I don't have anything else to say there. And again, there is not an individual person that I am attacking here. There's not an individual company that I'm attacking here. The entire franchise model, the basic business model, 
is really the, the challenge here. And if you're looking for a done for you, if you don't want to mess with the pesky parts of being a business owner, of having to do the tech yourself, of having to manage carrier relationships, of having to go out and do all of the, the nitty gritty, the back office side of things, dealing with HR, dealing with operations, setting up systems and processes and workflows and best practices. If you don't want to do any of those things, you just want to go and talk to people and sell stuff, this may very well be a great option for you. And you don't mind the revenue model because you're trading it for what you consider better quality of life. And if that is what you choose, by all means, more power to you. Uh, best of luck with that. And I truly hope that you are happy and satisfied with that path. In my personal opinion, uh, most people, once they understand the ins and outs of that side of the franchise uh, model, that side of the independent world, I should say, uh, they decide uh, that it is uh, not worth it. And there are much better options uh, if you are looking to be a career independent agency owner. So let's move on now to the fourth option. This is a little bit more digging deep into a creative solution. This is instead of being an agency owner, instead of leaving the captive world and going independent in that regard, uh, then you are going to instead go and be a team member uh, for an existing agency or brokerage. So the pros of being a probably a producer is where most of you are going to land in that situation. You might be an account executive, you might be in business development, but just about everybody who's considering this option uh, is, is going to end up being a producer in another office. So the first thing is there's a lot of assistance as you're trying to figure out uh, the IA side of the insurance industry. There are a million moving parts that are very different from the captive side of the world. And what that means for you really is a lot of, of threat as you are trying to figure out uh, the independent side of insurance at the same time you're trying to figure out being a business owner. So joining a team for a period of time, perhaps you know two, three, four years to find your feet on the IA side of things can be a good option to consider. The next one is economic stability while you are finding your way. A lot of these positions will have a base salary that obviously doesn't exist when you are an independent agency owner and you're able to make long-term plans. Um, you are able to figure out what do I want to do? What niche do I enjoy? What line of business do I enjoy? What carriers am I really fond of? What, you know, the programs uh, that are put in place uh, at the place where you are working, the agency, the brokerage, uh, whether it is you know a high quality local brokerage or you're joining on to one of the larger uh, national firms, depending on what your goals are, you know whether it is you know a Marsh, an Aon, a Lockton, um, Brown and Brown, Hub, etc. There's a lot of very large. Uh, very long tenured successful uh, brokerages where you can get a lot of hands-on training uh, and equipping to go out and do your own thing later on down the road. Obviously, there's also you know thousands of high quality local brokers that are not nearly as large as those names that I just referenced. So the coaching, the development, the access to good systems and processes and best practices uh, to help build your toolbox. Those are all big positives of doing it the producer way for a while. Uh, I would say that it, if you're going to go this route, if you end up deciding that for whatever reason, this is the best option for making your freedom jump, it's a great idea to reverse engineer this thing and figure out how long you intend to do it. Uh, because if you are uh, just open-ended with it, you can very easily find yourself five or ten years down the road and you're still at that shop because obviously they're set up uh, to incentivize you to be there for a long time. So know ahead of time what your what your timeline looks like and reverse engineer your activity so you can stay in front of what it looks like to eventually make your freedom jump to be an independent agency owner yourself if that is uh, what your long-term goal is. Lastly, we're going to talk about the cons of being a producer uh, for a, a period of time. The first one is very simply that you are not in charge of anything. You're not an executive. You're not the entrepreneur. You're not the owner of the company. You are operating inside of someone else's framework. 
all of your vendors are selected, all of your appointments are selected, all of your tech stack, all of your processes, your workflows, literally every aspect of what you're doing in a day-to-day -day is determined by someone else and you don't have any say in what that looks like. The other concerns are the reduced short-term earning potential. Obviously, as the owner of a business, as an executive, your earning potential is significantly higher than being a rank-and-file producer. Now, for a period of time, you may be willing to accept the reduced short-term earning potential in light of your larger goals and objectives, but it's important that we recognize that that is something that needs to be handled up front. Uh, so you know going into it, hey, your, your cap is probably a lot lower than if you had your own office and you just got to decide uh, what kind of suck you want. There's plenty of suck as an entrepreneur. There's plenty of things that are unpleasant uh, that are headwinds, uh, to use a political term. Uh, but there's there's also plenty of suck when you are a team member. So uh, it, it really just depends on what kind of hard you want to deal with, what kind of suck you want to have to endure. Because regardless of which direction you choose, there's always going to be some kind of suck involved. Last two things here real quick is the potential challenges uh, for taking your book with you. Uh, if you are not able to get equity in your book, uh, then you're not going to be able to take your book with you. So you're building a book that you are going to stay uh, and, and keep at that uh, office. So if you have every intention of leaving and doing your own thing uh, eventually, it's probably a good idea that you tell them your long-term goal is to someday have an agency of your own and you know negotiate some kind of a comp plan that involves equity at risk well at uh, a lot of other good shops that I am familiar with equity is part of the comp plan if key performance indicators KPIs are met so if you are meeting the KPI then you absolutely uh, should have the opportunity the option to ask for equity so negotiating that on the front end obviously is critical because once you sign the contract you are stuck with it and the the last thing here as we wrap up the pros and cons of these four options is it is definitely a short-term solution uh, if you are intending to make a freedom jump, joining someone else's team as a producer or account executive, uh, biz dev, whatever it is that you're doing on uh, that other company's team, it is by definition a short-term solution. So psychologically, uh, emotionally, you're not able to fully invest uh, in that place. The team members that you work with, um, you're not going to be all in with them. You're not going to be on mission in the same way that the people that are planning to be there forever are, are definitely going to be approaching the subject. So uh, that is it for the cons of being a producer. So now that we have looked at all four of them, uh, my personal uh, choice was, of course, the second of those four. I joined SIAA. I've been very happy with it. Uh, and I would say as we reflect just in a very high-level sense, uh, the pros and cons of each of those four, uh, there are definitely pros and definitely cons of all four of them. As we said just uh, a minute ago, uh, not we, I, I'm, I'm sitting here alone in my uh, office, sitting at my desk, so I'm not sure why we came out. Uh, as I said just a moment ago, there are always going to be uh, you know, difficulties. There are going to be things that suck about your chosen path. The thing is, you gotta be mindful about what kind of challenge you want. Uh, where are the pros? Where are the cons? And which ones do you want? Are you willing to take more of a risk and bet on yourself with the aggregator, uh, with the cluster, with going fully independent all on your own? Do you want rapid growth or are you okay with slower growth that happens more incrementally as you find your feet? You know, what do you want your earning potential to be? Do you uh, want someone to do all of the legwork to put the things together for you, the markets, the tech stack, the systems, the processes, the, you know, there's, there's pros and cons uh, in every flavor. So hear from me very simply, whatever you do, first read the contract. There's pros and cons in every contract. There's things that can be negotiated in every contract, but the devil is in the details. Regardless of what you are doing, read it thoroughly. Talk about it with your team of advisors. 
whatever you do, I would look at all of the options. Uh, don't go into a decision without understanding clearly what the other options are. So whatever you end up doing, uh, you are doing it as a well-educated person. So that's really it as far as the content of this episode goes. That's it. Uh, so I would love to hear from you. You can email podcast at riskwell.com if there's any questions, comments, feedback here. Uh, if, if you want to send hate mail because of something I said in this episode, that's where you send it, podcast at riskwell.com. I tried to keep it as objective as possible and acknowledge my own personal opinion uh, where appropriate. Um, so come on with it. If there's uh, anything you want to add to the conversation, you can also uh, visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com and, uh, and sign up for our email list. If you want my notes on this episode, the pros and cons, uh, you'll get those dropped in your inbox every Friday morning, roughly 6 a.m., and uh, that, if that's your cup of tea, then come on with it. The last thing I will say uh, is please join our Facebook group. Just search on Facebook, put in Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. It'll take you right to our group. We are approaching 100 members in that group, uh, which is great. I look forward to continuing to grow that community. Uh, I'm personally invested there. Uh, I'm present almost a daily basis and I'd love to connect with you there. That's it for this episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with someone in the captive agency world. I have a feeling that this episode in particular, from a tactical, from a strategic perspective, is going to be very useful to my friends and colleagues who are still on that side of the agency. So make it a great day, boys and girls. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you soon. Take care.